You're listening to the Wild Women Who Write podcast. Kathy Nichols, Kim Conry, Elizabeth Jones, and Gabby Anderson. Today we have with us Melody Johnson, the award-winning author of the Out of This World Love Beyond series and the gritty paranormal romance Nightblood series, published by Kensington Publishing Lyrical Press. The New York Times and USA Today best-selling author Lindsay Sands laughed out loud reading Beyond the Next Star, Love Beyond Book One, and Kirkus Reviews praised it as an engaging, unusual, otherworldly tale. Ruby Dixon, author of the viral sci-fi romance novels, Ice Planet Barbarian series, stayed up far too late reading this. Melody graduated magna cum laude with her BA in creative writing and psychology, and her unique perspective on vampires lends a fresh bite to the classical genre. Also in the follow-up, The Love Beyond Book One is Beyond the Next Star. That also earned the 2021 Maggie Award for Excellence. And it's an exciting branch from Melody's paranormal romance roots. Well, Melody, as a romance writer myself, I've often felt frustrated by the broad brush that people often use to describe our work. In my own sci-fi romance, Stealing Aries, and paranormal romance, Nicholas Eternal, there's a lot of child advocacy, women's rights, and other important topics that both the male and the female protagonists risk their own comfort and safety to defend. This is why I really enjoyed Beyond the Next Star and Sight Beyond the Sun, because you cover some seriously important topics like human trafficking, child abuse, child advocacy, with sensitivity and skill while maintaining a fantastic and engrossing love story. So what I was wondering is, did this come about organically as you wrote the love story or did these important topics come first and then the story was built around it? I would say maybe a little bit of both. When I craft my stories, I usually start with character first and I build my characters as a couple. So when I create my hero, I am creating my heroine as well. What are What is her deep, dark wound? Uh, what happened in her past? And what's, what's happening in his present that could you know, mirror that, that could help heal her, that could make it worse? You know, trying to build the two of them together. And then, and then once I have my hero and my heroine and all of their dirty secrets and all of their uh, wounds and all of their, you know, goals and motivations for that projection of the story, I try then and put them in impossible situations that will trigger them hardcore <laughs> for all of their <laughs> dark wounds. <laughs> and you did so, a great job of that. And what I really, really loved and, and noticed with both Delaney and Torek in the first book, Beyond the Next Star, and then Kinsley and Raveno in Sight Beyond the Sun, was what they both have in common is within their group, they both have a crushing amount of responsibility on their shoulders that leads to them feeling isolated, even though they have people around them, but they're, they're deeply isolated within themselves. And so they each have that in common. And I believe even before they know it, they sense this about each other, perhaps on some subconscious level. And so they start forming this bond even before they realize it. It's this sense of shared loneliness or shared isolation that they see 
in the other and only they can understand that and so you do this this great job of building that and I thought that was just lovely and I think that sense of isolation is is a common human theme it's it's something that we feel and we understand almost without even having to explain it and you just did that so well Thank you so much. I, and I, I mean, I feel like it's kind of redundant to say I agree because I wrote it, but, but I completely agree. Like in my own perspective that, you know, people go through hardships, people have, you know, every, I didn't say everyone, but I would say most people go through m most similar hardships in life, whether that's, you know, from a loved one suffering from something or you battling your own demons. But it doesn't matter that you know that other people have gone through it. You yourself going through it is still still is still a personal battle um, that you need to conquer with support from others, but can feel very isolating. I feel like we see that also in not even just just romance, but also like in Kathy's book and, and Gabby's book. I've certainly seen that as well. Yeah, I was listening and thinking about the hardships that you said that everybody goes through. And and at least three of my four books, well, I, I'd say in all of them, grief, the, the idea of dealing with grief and coming to terms with loss, especially unresolved loss. Uh, you're at a spot, a spot where something happens and you can never fix what was unfixed. That That to me is a huge thing. I have a lot of that going on in my books. But they're also a lot of humor. And I thought I was listening to one of the critics or uh, reviewers who said that it, she laughed out loud. And I think that that's a really interesting dichotomy how when I was sending query letters for the, the sometimes sister, I would tell what it was about. And then I would say, talk about it being so funny. And one of uh, the editors said, it doesn't sound funny. And I went, you're absolutely right. I've got to at least get the tone of my query to match the tone of the book so that I can show that. But as women, I think we often have to use humor to get by. And that whether you're dealing with charismatic space aliens or <laughs> um, sympathetic vampires or just men and or society. I think we have to find humor to, to get us through that. I know, especially in Gabby's book, South of Happily, humor is huge. And hers, hers is not an alien story, but it kind of is. Well, I was just thinking when you were talking about the humor in life, and one of the taglines that I've had for the book, really almost from the very beginning, is that life can be funny even when everything sucks because the main character certainly gets herself into situations where I suppose in a normal everyday situation you would be pretty down by a lot of the things that are happening with her yet it's her very weird brain that's like this skull full of gloop kind of that makes the story funny because she's just so weird and how she perceives the world and reacts to the world is what makes it humorous. I had to ask you, and I'm getting my books mixed up, was it Beyond the Next Sun where we have the pet situation? Yes, Beyond the, the Next Star. Yep. Next the star, pet star. situation. I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't didn't want to give away too much, but it's such a, an intriguing concept because in there the woman has to pretend she is 
a support pet, which sometimes I think we kind of are the support pet. I mean, the support part, maybe not the pet part, but th that idea and that unusual bond that forms and looking at things from a totally different perspective. I think that is what's so fascinating. Maybe what has intrigued people with the whole sci-fi and the fantasy aspect is as women, it's kind of nice to be able to shift perspective. And you're shifting perspective to where the woman might start out as seemingly not helpless, but in, put in an almost unovercomable <laughs> situation. And yet she figures that out. So is that a feeling you've had for a long time about sharing that idea about women? Or did that just kind of develop organically with your work? Or do you even know? I would say that aspect of it grew from the wants. I wanted to convey something, doing an alien abduction story, where um, the woman would be in a position, being a very, not in a place of power at all, like completely powerless. But I didn't want to do it in a way that would make the hero dislikable. I didn't want him to be a slave owner. I didn't want him to, you know, be buying her, knowing that she was a sentient being in some way. I didn't want her to be like his like housekeeper or something. I want so in trying to figure out, you know, what options did I, did I have, I, I came up with the pet idea. <laughs> so that he could own her unknowingly and she could be in a position where she was completely powerless. And yet I wanted to play on the fact that because of her, because of her powerlessness, she was in a position where she could actually see and know everything. And so having that perspective of an undercover spy um, in a way where she could survive and gather information and no one would even think twice of her being there. So I enjoyed that aspect of it. I think of that as kind of like powerless, but not helpless, you know, cause she's got her brain, everything's going and you all, you know, at some point that balance of power has, is bound to shift. Something is bound to happen, which, you know, I know there are plenty of books, particularly literary works that don't end happily. I don't want to read those anymore. I, I taught English for a long time. I understood when Anna Karenia had to go and I get it. I got it. Ophelia, the whole thing, but I'm over it. I don't want to do that anymore, but I don't want it to be some silly business or like you said, the, the hero takes charge and fixes everything. That's not what I think most women want. So I, I love that you're doing that in such an interesting genre. Thank you. Yeah, my absolute favorite is to, I mirror your opinion completely that I want, I need a happily ever after, but I need them to suffer and stride and win and earn every drop of that happily ever after on their journey. They do. And, and what I like about what you and Kathy were talking about is the journey that they have in, in both of the books we're talking about, it echoes what women have been doing, basically, when you're talking about the woman all, almost being like this undercover spy, like she's in this position that seems helpless, but the whole time she's looking, you know, she's observing, she's hearing, she's gathering information. And isn't that what women have been doing for 
millennia, you know, so much more powerful than they seem, even before they had the right to vote here, at least, more powerful than they seem. And and as, as y'all were talking about that, I was like, wow, you know, your books could even be this allegorical journey of, of you know, what's been going on in, in a sense, you know, because that's what women have had to do throughout the ages is seem less powerful than they were as they're gathering information to, to save themselves and help themselves. And so there's something really intelligent about that. And, and there was always more intelligent behind Delaney's eyes as, as the story goes along. And he, he kept seeing this, you know, and, and I thought that was good as, as y'all were talking about that. Lizbeth, you had something? As you were talking in the beginning about the world building aspect of sci-fi, you know, I don't write sci-fi or romance, even if I have a romantic subplot, maybe. So I'm learning about both genres through Kim and other guests we've had on. And it just now struck me when someone said world building, I thought sci-fi and romance are a perfect hybrid because world building happens in romance. You've got two people who are suddenly fallen in love. So now they're in their own little world and they are communicating things to each other, sometimes almost in a foreign language as they're getting to know each other. So it seems to me that the both genres have a lot to learn from each other. It seems like it's almost would be a good idea if you were a romance writer to learn from sci-fi writers how to do world building, how to, how to flesh it out. And you know, if you're in romance, you really wanna know how to flesh something out. Yeah, it just seems like that's a real area of exploration of just two people who are kind of alien to each other. And now they're trying to, you know, create an alliance and the rules are very confusing and different. Did, did you feel like as you were writing that, that the world building that you were doing as a sci-fi writer was enhancing everything that you were doing with the romantic side of it and vice versa, of course? Absolutely. I think that sci-fi in its innate nature takes things to kind of like on steroids. It takes it to a whole nother level. Romance by itself could be enemies to lovers trope. And then you add in sci-fi and suddenly, you know, worlds are at stake. Or, you know, you could have the, you know, not knowing, not knowing someone's language on, you know, can be a very fun trope to play with. But now you throw in that the other person is an alien and now you're also on another planet, also trying to learn their language. So in a way, sci-fi can um, mirror or expand the possibilities on what's already available to us in romance. And I have a lot of fun playing with that. Going back to the question, I think that Kim asked you about the important kind of social issues that pop up in your book. I I was thinking about that. I really only, other than, you know, mine, because mine always have dead bodies in them, there's not usually that much room for social issues. But one of my books, the, the second one that got published, The Unreliables, I can't really remember where it came from, but somehow or another, um, the veterans department and, and how we treat our veterans became an important part of that book. And I had to be really careful because uh, the Atlanta area, as most large areas, we have a lot of homeless people and a huge percentage of them are, are veterans. Uh, the Gulf War, Vietnam, 
and some of them are just not even wars, just the experience of whatever you go through in training for combat. So it was interesting to me that an issue that I hadn't really even thought that much about. I mean, I'm not, I mean, my husband is a veteran, but we have a, a good life. He was lucky, but it just kind of came out for me. I wasn't surprised about the women's issues coming out, but that particular thing came out. And I think writing kind of does that to us. I think it taps into our subconscious. And it's certainly not a subconscious when we're talking about women's issues on wild women who write, because we started as a group, as a critique group, a supportive critique group, and then we wanted to extend that support to other women writers. And and now we don't just have women, but we kind of favor them because they sort of fit our purpose better is the the main reason. Did you know, I mean, the the whole concept of, for example, the, the one where they are bringing sentient beings that they may or may not know are sentient, and all of them aren't, I think, right? They're coming back and being kind of trafficked uh, did you, were you conscious that the whole human trafficking thing was there in your head? For Sci-Fi on the Sun, yes. I wanted to, I knew that that flavor of, of issue was there, and I wanted to be careful with it as it was developing. I would say also with Torek, we mentioned veterans and him being, you know, having PTSD. I very specifically um, wanted to give him an occupation and a dark wound that was very human. Um, one of my fears was that because of his physical appearance and because he is an alien, that readers, you know, especially women, might not connect with him and want, you know, want him as the hero in a romantic capacity and I wanted something to ground him in humanity. And so, uh, you know, I could have, when I was brainstorming, you know, what occupation could he have? You know, I could have given him a very alien-like occupation, but I deliberately gave him something very human to try to ground him as a real person. Yeah, I thought that worked really well. And I I think it addressed something too, like a a lot of people are, are walking around, walking wounded certainly veterans, but people who've experienced abuse and, and things like this. And it, it led to a lovely theme that I also seen threaded through your work, and it was the theme of hope. And the idea also that hope can even be a dangerous idea. And there were some quotes that you had. Well, one of my very favorites was from uh, Beyond the Next Star. Her low expectations rose slightly dangerously into something she feared more than the nightmare itself, hope. I read that and I just sighed. I was, oh, so good. That's one of those quotes you want to just turn over in your head again and again. And then here's a quote from Sight Beyond the Sun that also deals with hope that I thought was just so beautiful. And this is from Hensley when she says, I'd rather die today trying to survive and five years from now, still caged, hoping to live. And so there's these certain ways that we deal with, with hope. You know, it can almost scare us because once we give up, it's almost a safe space. So the idea of letting hope in can be terrifying because then we have the potential to be let down. 
but then it can also make you a fighter. So it, it, it was just very beautiful, this thread of hope that is woven through all your stories, which is, is a good thing to blend in there with someone who has severe PTSD. Well, they both do. They both have PTSD, Torek and Delaney in the first book. So it, it, was, it was just beautiful. Um, and I don't want to run out of time before we ask you about being a hybrid author. And you're definitely a wild woman for this because, I, you know, it was safe to have a publisher and you did something that I, I think is very brave. Um, and for people who don't understand the term hybrid author, our listeners don't understand what that means. It means an author who's been published traditionally and then they self-publish or it can work in reverse for self-publish and then you become traditionally published. And so the wild women are all about Betsy Leaps of Faith. So what made you take the leap into self-publishing when you had a traditional publisher that you have published several paranormal romance books with? Absolutely. So I did start originally after I had written and self-edited Beyond the Next Star. I had pitched it here and there to different people. I got a few bites. And as I was going through the process of querying and and you know deciding what what path I wanted to take for this new series a few of the things that you know although traditional publishing is safe and it was always my goal to be traditionally published which I achieved and was thrilled and proud of myself some of a few of the downsides is the loss of control um not getting to have a cover designer that of your choosing or to design your own covers certain aspects of, of the entire process that, that I, when I was traditionally published at the time, did not have access to. I would not have known at that time how to format a book, how to upload to Amazon, how to do any of the industry professional side of the, of the publishing process. Um, but once I became more knowledgeable about what was out there, doing research on sci-fi romance, there the grand majority of sci-fi romance is indie published. There is not a huge market out there for specifically for sci-fi romance for traditional publishing. But I decided to go that route then for uh, for this particular series and found a new pride in my work that I had never expected. I, having been, you know, gone through creative writing, you know, um, my major of creative writing and being in that literary world and wanting so badly to be traditionally published. I never expected to find such pride in looking at my um, indie published books and seeing that is my entire work, all me. And it was, it was very I found that satisfaction in that I did not expect. Well, Kim did something very similar and she did it with a work of love, which kind of encompasses both what we're talking about as far as the publishing and having a work that had a cause behind it. And I meant to ask you that, Kim. Did you build your characters around the child advocacy theme or interweaving connection? Or did you start with your characters and realize they were suited for rescuing children? And just share a little bit of that background. Oh, right. Yeah, which was a similar question that I had asked Melody at the beginning. Right. Yeah, because I was a, a CASA, court-appointed special advocate, which is basically a children's advocate. 
advocate for children who've been taken into custody by the Department of Family and Children's Services for whatever reason. You know, their home life is, is an issue. And I thought, you know, that was so taxing and so trying and so, no matter how hard you worked on these cases, the ending always felt like it was just an ending. You know, it was rarely a happy ending. You know, you always worried when it was over because I never felt particularly happy about how it resolved. You know, it was just an ending. And so I thought, what if this, you know, it just seems to go on forever, but what if it did? And I was fascinated with the story of, well, spoiler alert, Nicholas Eternal actually is St. Nicholas. And, but what if that did go on forever because he was originally sainted and a lot of people don't know this, but Santa Claus was originally sainted for rescuing children. The story goes that he was rescuing children out of slavery and giving everything he had to rescue them. And when he had nothing left, he gave himself and then died in slavery because he had nothing else left to give. So to save the last child, he gave, offered up himself and that's why he was sainted. And so I thought, what if you had an immortal character that was St. Nicholas and he's still alive today and doing that, it would mess you up because being a children's advocate, honestly, kind of messed me up because, well, you know, cause you can never do enough. And I'd say Nicholas Eternal is a, a book about a, an immortal who felt the burden of never being able to do enough and how it can hurt you. And so he's circling the drain when the story opens and it's all about saving St. Nick, was, which was actually the original title for Nicholas Eternal. And Gabby didn't share, when I said the alien thing, I meant for you to talk about your, the aspect of your book that's not alien, but in a way, because your main character is straddling two worlds, she has to navigate the speaking the language of both. I thought about that when we were talking about the language part. Yeah, her family is Hungarian and she's a first generation Hungarian American and probably something that a lot of immigrants have a problem with or have anxiety with or whatever word you want to use is, you know, coming from two different worlds and not really fitting into either world or belonging to two different so coming from two different cultures and not really fitting into either one, even between the parents and the kids and the grandparents is like you, you sort of have to pick your place and find your place or, or not. And that would cause a lot of anxiety and confusion for a lot of people. And I read, I, I listened to you read part of the short story. You've got coming out uh, July 19th. It's a collection of short stories from your writing group? Or yes, yes, my writers group, First Coast Romance Writers. We put out an anthology every year as a fundraiser to be able to use the proceeds to bring in more speakers, agents and editors to help enhance our writing and our craft for our membership. And, and so our anthology comes out July 19th this year. Your short story in there really showed your diversity too, because your main character, Stevie, that's right, Stevie. Yep, Stevie Dynamite. <laughs> she, Stevie Dynamite, she is such a hoot. And you incorporated that whole bizarre, like that, that show Jackass, 
that's what I was thinking. I don't know if you saw that. That was popular when my kids were teenish, and uh, they showed. They had me sit down and watch it. I'm like, well, that is the stupidest thing I have ever seen. And as you are talking about someone who's competing in a show like that, she is thinking this is the hopefully the stupidest thing I'll ever do. But we fall kind of in love with her very quickly, and you had to do it quickly because it's a short story. Your versatility and your themes which correlate so well with other women writers and especially ourselves and your youth which is so exciting because you can write uh, whatever and are you do you think about ever playing with different genres i will always write romance i have written i've tried my hand at contemporary romance i have two full novels that I've written, but not, not published, um, that are contemporary romance. And then, and then of course I have my, my paranormal, my sci-fi, but all, all romance. So I am very open to subgenres and, you know, any, any subgenre really to, to dip my toe into, but my, my books will always, uh, be a romance novel. Oh, I love that. And I'm sure your readers do. I've just, had such a good time talking to you. Kim, did you want to close us out here? Sure. Well, we were really happy to talk with you this evening, and we hope to have you back again with your next novel, hopefully before too long. And let us know, let all our listeners know, and all your readers know, how they can get in touch with you. Absolutely. You can find me online at authormelodyjohnson.com. And author Melody Johnson is also on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Um, those are, my, and I'm also like on LinkedIn and things, but those are my most active ones. So very happy to chit chat and, and talk to anyone online. And when is the release date again for the anthology? Yep, uh, Romancing the Tropics releases July 19th. Well, thank you very much for joining us. It's been fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us tonight. We welcome your comments and invite you to check out our Wild Women Who Write website. Until next time, keep writing and stay wild.